as we begin, let me ask you, how patient are you? On a scale of 1 to 10, very patient, not so patient. Don't worry, it's not a trick question or a test question. Um, If you ask my mum, or indeed Becca, um, they would say I was at the back of the queue when patience was handed out, as they say. So I very much believe patience is a fruit of the Spirit, a work of the Spirit, only something the Holy Spirit can achieve. Um, How patient are you? Well, maybe you say it depends. It depends if I need to be patient. What hangs on my patience? It depends who I need to be patient with. There's some people, oh, I struggle to be patient with them. Maybe it depends on the situation. I can be patient, but if it's a conversation about politics, ah. Maybe it depends how important it is. If I've got to get the cake out of the oven, I will be patient. I don't want to burn it. (laughs) Or if if I'm on the phone waiting for the doctor, yeah, I'll, I'll be patient then. I want to talk to the doctor. Can you be patient? Can you be patient enough to wait and to listen when it matters most? Our passage today begins with this thought. Look in verse 1. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. He's asking for patience, isn't he? Would you tolerate me? Would you be patient with me? Would you put up with me? Presumably the church is struggling with him. He's got a bit annoying, a bit frustrating, a bit embarrassing. Maybe you felt like that as we've read Uh, this letter to the church in Corinth. Last week we saw Paul warning the church about false apostles. And maybe you think this morning, oh, do give it a rest. I feel like I've heard these warnings about false teachers all the time. Come on. So you ever talk about a grace church? If that's you today, this morning, we're going to get reasons for patience. Patience with Paul and his message Patience with Paul's practice. Patience even when it's frustrating. Even when Paul's ministry looks embarrassing. Because it's what we need most in all of the world. So here it goes. Four things. Here's reason for patience, number one. If you're taking notes, this is heading number one. Paul Paul appeals for our patience because of his divine jealousy. Divine jealousy. Did you see that? Look. Look at verse two. Paul says, bear with me, put up with me, verse 2, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul says, be patient with me, because I'm jealous for you. Now you say, that's no good. Jealousy is horrible. I mean, if someone's jealous, I'm going to be less patient with them rather than more patient with them. I was helped by reading the words of one of the early church fathers. He said, jealousy is a, is a really huge feeling, stronger than love. A jealous soul burns ardently for those whom they love. Jealousy presupposes strong affection. And Paul says here, he says he's jealous. Divinely jealous. God is said to be jealous, not in a human way. Human jealousy is basically selfish. But divine jealousy is both intense and pure. You could say it like this. Human jealousy mostly is like envy. When we want things that belong to others. But God's jealousy is his passion for what is his. And Paul says, I've got that kind of jealousy for you. So please bear with me. Bear with me in my message. Be patient with me when I warn you of false teachers. Because I speak to you with a holy passion. 
with divine jealousy. And that divine jealousy has been provoked. Look at verse 3. I am afraid, he says. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunnings, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm jealous for you. My jealousy has been provoked. The the image of verse 2, what was it? Like a father with a daughter. What do fathers do? Fathers protect daughters, don't they? They look after them. They protect them until that day when they walk their daughter down the aisle and hand them over to another to be their champion and protector. That's what fathers do. They protect them till the wedding day. Now imagine the scene. I think this is what Paul is getting us thinking about. Imagine the scene. The father arrives at the daughter's house on the wedding day. He's got the car. They're going to the wedding. But as he knocks on the door and the door opens, down comes the bride-to-be, pulling her clothes on half-dressed. Followed shortly behind her by someone else, a bloke tucking his shirt in, buckling up his belt. Imagine the father's devastation, having protected her, having found her, having, having brought her to the day when she'll be with a champion who protect her. What has happened at the very last moment? Someone has stolen her. Someone has taken her virginity and her purity. The wedding is ruined. The marriage is ruined. Her future lays in tatters. The father's efforts thrown away. Someone's destroyed everything. Paul says, that's me. I betrothed you to Christ. I am jealous that no one would take you from that day. You see, in the Bible, when it speaks of a Christian, a Christian is someone who is saved and is waiting for their wedding day. They are the bride waiting to be united with Christ the bridegroom. And Paul is scared. And his divine jealousy provoked that that wedding day might not come. That's what's at stake. Paul says, look, if you come and see him after church today, and imagine you were to see Paul and you were to say, Paul, I've, um, I've got something I need to tell you. My cancer's come back. Paul wants to say to us this morning that he'd say, that's sad, but I'm not scared. Because if you die, you will still make the wedding day. But imagine Paul and you came up to him at the end of church and you said, I struggled this morning. Paul, I just don't think I believe the things I used to believe. We need to agree to disagree. Paul says, that's what would make me scared. Scared that you'll miss out on the wedding. Because you see, the thing is, it is easy to fall for false teaching. People don't walk around, enter the church, shake our hands at the door with a big false teacher t-shirt on. Uh, YouTube clips don't have warnings. Beware, this could be false teaching. False teaching doesn't say, uh, yeah, by the way, really I want you to believe Islam. False teaching looks like Christianity. False teaching looks like true teaching when it's not. And that's the issue here. Look at verse 4. His jealousy provoked, his fear provoked. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. 
You see, here's this church, and they should be being patient with Paul, giving him the time of day. But actually, they're giving time of day and patience to others. They put up with them splendidly, readily enough. And see, here's the problem. Our misplaced tolerance leads all the way back to Mother Eve. Back to the garden. That was verse 3, wasn't it? You see, there is a destructive tolerance. Not all tolerance is good. Maybe you have it. Maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't like to upset anyone. So you're tolerant no matter what. Maybe you have a tolerance that will hear everyone out. A tolerance that will tolerate everything and anything. But we shouldn't tolerate everything. We shouldn't readily be patient with falsehood. Our priority is to reserve a place for truth. So Paul says here, be patient with me. Be patient with the message of the gospel. Be patient with my warnings about false teachers. I'm simply trying to show you the divine jealousy of God who loves you like a father. I love you like a father, betrothed you to Christ. I'm jealous that you would not miss out on the wedding day. So listen, be patient with this message. Bear with a weak message. Don't abandon it for what looks powerful when it's the real gospel. Bear with me in my divine jealousy, says Paul. Number two, number two this morning. Paul says, bear with me in my unskilled speaking. Bear with me in my unskilled speaking. That's heading number two. Look, it's there in verses five and six. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I'm not saying knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. Paul says, look, there's there's these other people who are supposedly preaching the good news. And you think they're better speakers than me. And therefore, you shouldn't tolerate me. We don't know what Paul was like. Maybe his public presentation really actually wasn't very good at all. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he stood too far away from the microphone, and so no one could ever hear him. Maybe he was down here in his notes, and he didn't give out any eye contact. Maybe he was monotone. Maybe his messages were like boring lectures. We don't know. But Paul says, I don't think I'm inferior to these super apostles. I think I could put together a message like theirs if I needed to, but I don't, I, I'm not going to play those games. In fact, that's not even what's most important. Look at verse 6 again. Even if I'm unskilled, even if I were unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. You know, we know that what matters most isn't the power of a presentation, isn't the communication skill. What matters most is what is said, isn't it? The knowledge and the truth that's conveyed. Um, last week at the leaders' conference, a lovely pastor, a guy called Paul Mallard, spoke. And he challenged this room full of leaders. And he says, think of yourselves like a relay team. And he reminded us of the 2004 Olympics. Um, the, the UK male relay team won the gold, apparently. I don't remember that, but apparently we won the gold without cheating as well. Um, and uh, we weren't the fastest. I mean, the Americans would have been quick. Of course, they would. The Jamaicans, they'd have been quick, very quick. But we won the relay because we focused on passing the baton on, not dropping it. See, that's our job as Christians. That's the job of pastors. Not to be creative and inventive and funny, 
Our job is to pass the baton on, to be faithful. Someone said a sermon comprised of two parts, truth and communication. Which of those two should we want the most? At your funeral, would you rather have someone who is terribly engaging, speaking, but actually doesn't give out any real hope? Or would you rather have someone who speaks the truth and maybe slightly less enthralling? How easy it is to think, isn't it? That guy put it so well. That speaker sounded so good. That's not the question, though, is it, Paul says? The question is, is their message true? Bear with me despite my unskilled speaking because I'm giving you what's true. We're to tolerate Paul. We're to tolerate his warnings in his ministry. Not because it sounds good, but because it is good. It's good and true. It's the same for us today, isn't it? Isn't it? Paul longs for our tolerance. He longs for our patience as he warns us of false teaching. He says, be patient with me because of my divine jealousy. Be patient with me, even though I'm unskilled. I speak the truth. Number three, Paul says, tolerate me because of my burden-free humility. I have to explain that, aren't I? Burden-free humility, heading number three. He's addressing this church, and the church have got a bit fed up of him. They prefer other people, more skillful speakers. He's addressing their concerns. Look at verse 7. Are you giving up on me? Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge if I offended you in some way. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Did I? And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, he says. He pleads for their patience. It seems like Paul has offended this church. He won't let them pay him. And some say, well, Paul mustn't. He obviously doesn't love you if he won't accept your payment. You see, Paul instead would rather be a tent maker working with leather. Leather was something defiled to the Jewish people. So there was Paul, and he was supposed to be their apostle. He wouldn't accept their payment. Rather, he'd be in the market working with leather. Ah, how awful, how embarrassing. And he looked like a slave working in the market. And if he did take payment, he didn't take it from Corinth. He took it from those poor Macedonians down the road. You can imagine what the Corinthians might have been thinking. What have we done to offend him? Why, can't, why won't he take our money? What's wrong with us? What have we done? What brutish behaviour of Paul, they might have said. But that's not the thing. They haven't done anything wrong, and Paul hasn't done anything wrong. It's not about that. Paul wants to present the good news of Jesus free of charge. You see, if Paul accepts payment from some and not others... What will happen when others need him? What will happen when the message of Jesus needs to go out further? Well, he'll be enslaved to those who brought his attention. They'll be his patrons and he can hardly ignore them, can he? But if he humiliates himself to work with tents, if he receives outside funding, then he doesn't have to pick and choose who he speaks to in Corinth. He can present the gospel to everyone. You see, the Corinthians think what we often think. Expensive is good. 
We think preachers must, must be like perfume. The more they cost, the better it must be. The better they must be. So yeah, it's humiliating to see Paul in the marketplace. It's embarrassing. I mean, is his teaching so poor that he can't be given anything? Other philosophers and speakers, even the bad ones, get paid something. Paul gets paid nothing. But you see, Paul won't burden them and he won't be burdened to them. He'd rather humiliate himself and look like a slave than burden anyone. And this shouldn't leave them frustrated. It should make them even more um, patient with him. You see, for Paul, pastors and teachers can be paid in their work of building up and teaching the church. But those with an apostolic outward ministry, well, that ministry is to be free of charge. There will be no collection plate going around at the mission. Who wants to be accused of greed? Who wants to be accused of influence sold to the highest bidder? I'll take Jesus to you because you pay well. No, Paul says, I won't be burdened to anyone. So he's not to be despised, but he's to be listened to as he speaks and warns of false teaching. We see that he wouldn't burden people, that he would have that good news go out to everyone. And if he'll humiliate himself for that mission, surely we can give this message more time and attention than any false messages and false preachers who ask that we put our hands in our pockets. As an aside, can I say this morning, please beware when people ask you for money. If anyone ever uses spiritual languages and ideas to pressurise you into giving, please do talk to someone before you um, give in to that. Also, can I say... Um, for those of you who support the work of Grace Church, I have absolutely no idea who gives what. I know how much I put in the pot, and sometimes I find out what other people give because they tell me, and I didn't want to know. Um, uh, Our our treasurer keeps the record of the the finances, but I've got absolutely no idea what's going on, and I don't want to know, and Paul knows that he does not share any of that information with us. So just in case you were thinking... I can make sure that that Steve and Ollie and Anthony and Rob never give us a hard time because they know I'm a a substantial supporter. We don't don't know that. So so no matter what you give, if you need warning and challenging, I won't have any thoughts in the back of my head about that. It'll be coming anyway. We're to bear with Paul. We're to hear his message, divine jealousy. Unskilled speaking, but truth. No burdens. No burdens, no wrong attachments. But fourthly, look, look lastly, Paul pleads for the church's patience because of his utter, utter, utter commitment. Right, here is a stubborn streak, if ever you saw one. Look at verse 10. Look what he says. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Do you see that? Paul's boasting will not stop. His his ministry and his ministry practice won't change. I'm going to keep preaching in a weak way without being paid, looking like it's rubbish. 
I will not be quashed, I will not be silenced or stopped. I won't change. Now notice this. If someone says they'll never change, normally our patient struggles at that point, doesn't it? Can you be patient with someone who says, I am not changing, no matter what you do? (laughs) That often makes patients really hard, doesn't it? But at just this point where our patients might run out, Paul says he's not changing. He won't change even for these Corinthians he loves who want to pay him. And why? Well, these false teachers claim that their ministry and their gospel is the same as Paul's. The false teachers just apparently do it better. So we should switch over, replace Paul. But you see, so long as Paul is committed to not getting paid, no one can say his ministry is the same as the super apostles. They speak like travelling speakers, they get paid like travelling philosophers. But Paul doesn't get paid like that, does he? His ministry is not the same, he is not the same, his message is not the same, and he is utterly committed to showing that, no matter what. So he says... Please be patient with this message. Please listen to it again. Beware these false teachers, because I am utterly committed to doing it this way. To undermine these false teachers. I want to see them eradicated. And look at his reason for why. And here we come back to some themes at the beginning of the passage. Look at these final verses, verse 13. I want to undermine them. For such men, verse 13, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul says, be patient. He's utterly committed to undermining the false teachers. Some of us here this morning are familiar with identity theft. Anyone here ever had their identity stolen? You'll be aware, you'll probably know someone who has. Maybe you've had your bank card cloned at the ATM. Maybe you've had someone um, copy your Facebook page. Maybe you've had someone break into your Netflix. That happened to me once in South America. Bizarre. Anyway. Well, here's the point. Satan is an identity thief. He likes to put on a mask. He hides as a messenger of light. He likes to have, as it were, fake Facebook profiles. In the garden, there he was, dressed up as part of God's good creation. And he could speak, and so Eve might have supposed, everything being good in the garden, that this creature, who looked good, part of God's good world, all she'd ever known was good, she might have supposed that he would speak what was good, be a messenger of light. But he wasn't a messenger of light, was he? He was a deceiver. And so we shouldn't be surprised if others would do the same today. Dress themselves up as Christians, even Christians Christian teachers, when really they work in deceit. It's as old as the garden, as they say. So Paul does everything he can to show them up. Don't believe those disguises. They aren't angels, but devils. Beware, be warned, be scared of them. Because this isn't an issue of preference of one minister over another minister. This is about getting entangled in the work of Satan. So here's the big message for us today. Be careful who you tolerate. Bear with Paul. Bear with his teaching. Bear with his weak ministry as it points to Jesus and to the wedding day. 
Don't bear with false teachers and their lies. Now, listen to me uh, here for a moment. You could hear me this morning as saying, Grace Church is the only true gospel church around. You might think that's what I'm saying. Let me be very very clear. I am not saying that. (laughs) There are lots of wonderful gospel churches around us, lovely friends. They'll differ in style and the way those churches govern themselves, but they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'd love it if we worked even more closely with those who share the same gospel. But there is a challenge here, isn't there? Give the time of day to the true gospel message, to Paul and his ministry. So the question is, are we doing that? Are we reserving a place for real truth? Are we giving patience to the real message? Now, how do we know if we're doing that? Well, here's a challenge. Why not go home and find the Grace Church Statement of Faith online? Why don't you have a look at it? Read each line and think on it. Ask yourself, am I hearing these truths regularly? Am I giving them time or am I hearing and listening to things that say, say the opposite? That downplay, for example, the sinfulness of man or downplay the, the work of God over, over works of humans? Ask yourself, do I really believe all this? Maybe you could get together with a friend or say in your growth group, can we work through that statement of faith? I'd love to talk about it, just say, I'm finding that a bit hard. I think I've been listening to teaching that's different to that. I've been reading and thinking about stuff differently. Maybe work through it. Challenge each other. Pray through it, line by line. Am I being patient with this truth? You see, here's the challenge for us. You say you can be patient if you need to be. I can be patient in the right situation. I can be patient with the right person. I can be patient if it's important. Well, what do we see here today? What is it for Paul? What is most important for him? It is the wedding day, isn't it? That is what is most important. You as a Christian are waiting for your wedding. And the greatest thing in all the world is to keep going for that, to be kept for that. So listen when you're warned about false teaching. Listen because you don't want to miss out on that day. Shall we pray? Our loving and gracious Father, thank you for this word for us today. Father, help us to be a fellowship of believers who are rooted in the good news. Who even though we live in the world are not of the world. We ask that we would be careful how we engage with culture. How we engage with our friends. Engage with other ideas. Help us to be those determined to be faithful, to pass the baton on, to care more about what's true than being clever or being well thought of. Father, help us to love each other in this. Help us to warn each other. Help us to repeat the truth to each other regularly 
Oh, the precious truths of who you are, a holy and just God. Oh, the precious truths of how good we were made in the beginning. Oh, how precious the truth, as sad as it is that we were broken, but we were being made new. Help us to remember the truth of a crucified saviour and his glorious resurrection and a future hope where every tear is wiped away. Help us to reserve a place for real truth, no matter what it costs us. Even if it's embarrassing. Even if we're frustrated. Help us to be patient with one another in this too, we ask. In Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.